week of February 13th, 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 572, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, where the Los Angeles Rams just won the Super Bowl, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in Birmingham, Alabama, which did not win the Super Bowl, I'm Michael Giltz. Don't you have to have a team to win the Super Bowl? That helps. That helps. You know, uh, yesterday I was asked, oh, do you want to join the betting pool? I said, sure, uh, I'll take uh, I'll take uh, whoever that that Tom Brady's playing for this this year. And they said, yeah, um, he didn't make the Super Bowl. I said, OK, fine. I'll take whoever the Roethlisberger character is playing for. I that's not that's not fantasy football. It's the. Super oh, Bowl. yeah. I was told they, they're both out. They're both out. Yeah, you're a big fan, obviously. Well, I was a big fan of Entertainment Weekly. I used to write for them a w- for a while. They're going digital only. No more print edition of Entertainment Weekly. That's a decision I expected to be made about 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just I can't, agree. I can't believe how long it took for that to happen. I like Entertainment Weekly. They've got a vibrant website. I hope all, everybody who works for them will continue to work for them, and they'll keep turning out uh, whatever they're doing. So that's cool. But I thought, wow, you know, a, a magazine that I wrote for that's no longer around as a magazine. And I went and looked back at my clips and my resume and said, wow, I'm kind of like, Typhoid Mary. <laughs> magazines, <laughs> magazines, and even newspapers, they go out of business. They're not here. They're not forever. The vanity fairs of the world are few and far between. I can tell you that the reason that uh, Entertainment Weekly and, and Us Weekly and all of those magazines uh, continued their print runs for so long is that they were selling ads based on uh, a multiplier because they would give away uh, subscriptions to doctors' offices, and they'd be able to tell advertisers, "Look, yes, we only print a hundred thousand issues, but the the, the multiplier, uh, the you know the the you know is two point one, so it's really two hundred thousand people that will see your ads." That's that, but that began that's dropping. Part, that's part of the reason. It's also true that Entertainment Weekly was for many many years, even from the beginning, filled with ads for its corporate overlord, you know, Time Warner. So yeah. it was like a house magazine. They would advertise their own stuff at cut rates and, you know, they would have HBO movies and they would have uh, Warner Brothers films and they have albums. So it was sort of this self-feeding thing. It's like it's a house ad and it's a house magazine and they would cover other stuff and they had editorial independence. But it was, you know, it just it was like a PR for what Warner Brothers was doing and it worked well that way. Well, yeah. And now, uh, you know, I wonder where do you even find it? I guess you have to subscribe to it. Well, you right? don't. That- it doesn't exist anymore. It stopped at digital. You can only go to it online. And online right, is where but- I've been watching some movies to get ready for the Oscars. I've watched a couple movies. I watched The Almodovar, Parallel Mothers, which I didn't think much of. I saw Flea, the animated documentary film, which I thought was very good. That'll be on my best of the year list. And uh, I also watched Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, as it's known. Does that yes, mean, that was the, the winner of the Berlin Film Festival last year, the Berlin Film Festival taking place this year as we speak. That's true. So I, I, I vaguely knew about the movie. I remembered it was something about a teacher making a sex tape with her husband and it gets out. So I'm naturally Correct. expecting some sort of wacky comedy, perhaps, I assume. I, oh, no. I'm starting to watch the film and it, there's humor in it for sure. I'm watching the movie and I'm going... I didn't even know what I, I had a vague idea. Maybe it was Swedish. And I quickly realized it's not Swedish. Don't tell me. And I'm watching the movie and I'm going, what the heck is going on? Like the teachers, the woman is walking down the street and she walks down the street and she pauses and then she crosses the street and then she turns the corner and she's walking down. I'm like, what is the crazy rhythm of this movie? What is, oh my God, it's Romanian. 
<laughs> yes, hey, hey, that makes sense. They don't have any editing machines in Romania. So <laughs> it's, I love Romanian cinema. It is known for its long takes. And as soon as I realized this was a Romanian film, it made sense in that, in that, in that little portion of it. So the first half was a little slow going for me. There's a middle section that where the movie stops and it offers up a cinematic essay on Romanian popular culture. And it's very damning. And you could do the same thing for the U S or any other country. So it's not that it puts Romania down. It's just modern society, but it's like a half an hour long. And then it comes back to the movie and there's this very funny scene, which is almost worth watching the movie for of a, a parent-teacher conference where all the parents gather together to decide the fate, perhaps, of this teacher and whether she should keep her job. It was very funny, I had to say. So I don't quite recommend the, the movie, but I scene? admire the movie. Is Come this again? the courtyard scene where they're all yes, in a courtyard yes. and they're all... Yeah, they're all in a courtyard. Yeah. All, it's COVID. Everybody's wearing masks and they're fighting about everything. It was it was pretty funny. And like random say. people keep coming in and like... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it was, it was, it was good. So have you caught up in any but, Oscar movies? Uh, well, not for this year, uh, for next year, maybe. I mean, I, you said long takes. I think, you know, because of digital, long takes are a little bit easier to pull off now. That's and true. I have to say, a, a film that was at Sundance at Berlin uh, this year is Klondike this Ukrainian film, which is right. set at the beginning of the Ukrainian conflict in 2014. The the filmmaking is, it's a bleak movie, obviously, but the filmmaking is unbelievable. It's just the, the long takes. And you, it's remarkable to me how much can be done in one take and how everything had to be orchestrated. And it's not a very complicated movie or a complicated story with lots of, you know, you know, uh, explosions or anything like that, but still, it's pretty. It's pretty good. Well, digital also means podcasts can just go on and on and on. But before we do that, tell us what we're going to talk about this week. This week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are going to go play by play, analyzing yes. the Super Bowl in yes. forensic detail. I've got a black a whiteboard right here, ready to go. Okay. Well, actually, we won't even analyze the commercials, except for maybe the ads, the movie ads, of course. The, that's what I meant. The commercials are ads, but we're only going to talk about movie ads. Anyway, the Chinese New Year celebrations end on February 15th in a couple days, and the movies have racked up some big grosses this week. Here in the U.S., both Death on the Nile and Marry Me counter-programmed the big football game, but only one of them murdered the competition. Murdered? Mm, got to Keep going. Get it? Going. Okay, yeah. On Inside Baseball, we will talk all things music. Michael finally delivered his highly anticipated list of the best albums of 2021. He was trying to get it in before 2023 began. Anyway, uh, joining us is our friend Sal Nunziato of the music blog Burning Wood. He's going to share his list of the best albums of 21. And by the way, one of the albums they both share in common, get this, it's the latest release from Sal's band, The John Sally Ride. Wait a second. Can you vote for yourself? I know you can do that in politics, but can you, you do certainly that? certainly can. Oh, okay. Well, then, uh, of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we're going to discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Gilt. He's going to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office from around the world. And the number one movie, again, is The Battle at Lake Shenzhen 2. 
Uh, it's a sequel to the Battle of Lake Shangjian. This one is also known as Watergate Bridge because that's where this battle during the Korean conflict took place. It made $371 million last week. It passed the half billion dollar mark. It's at $524 million. So that movie obviously is a big success. Right behind it is Too Cool to Kill. This is a Chinese comedy about a, a scammer who... Uh, involving a guy who wants to be a comic and he gets embroiled in all this shenanigans. It made $200 million this week. It's at $320 million worldwide. At number three is Nice View, another Chinese film. It's a thriller about a brother fighting to get medical care for his sister. So, of course, he plans a heist. Uh, he made $113 million this week. It's at $160 million worldwide. So that one is sort of picking up steam, very much so. Boonie Bears Back to Earth, the latest in a franchise that made $87 million. It's now at $127 million. I am certain that movie was a very low-budget affair, so that's a, that's a great number. This is not a $200 million animated film. And then there's Sniper, the Chinese drama about a, a, a Chinese sniper during the Korean War taking out Americans. Probably not going to be playing at your AMC or Regal here in North America. It made $46 million this week. It's at $69 million worldwide, which brings me to a point. If you looked at Comscore or you looked at coverage of how these movies did, what you would have heard was that the Battle of Lake Shangjin made $43 million. And Too Cool to Kill made $37 million, and, 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 and so on and so forth. What would you rather say, $43 million or $371 million? That's why we look at the entire week's box office. It's especially important during holidays and, and things like the Chinese New Year, but also 4th of July, uh, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving. It happens all the time. There's no reason to hide movie grosses. Everybody should be switching to a full week coverage. Comscore did it briefly during the pandemic shutdown because box office grosses were so low and everybody should embrace it because it makes no sense to hide how much money these movies are making. 371 million sounds a hell of a lot better than 40 million. Now, I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay, yes, I'm going to point out a couple of things. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, no, I'm going to explain something. So I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm going to say is, as you know, media outlets, they need things to report, right? And and of course, studios want, they always want to be in the news for good things. So the the horse race, the weekend horse race gives them the opportunity on Monday to once again be in the news and it gives the media something to cover, even though you're correct that $371 no, there's, there's, there's million. There's no dollars, problem with talking about the horse race. The horse race should just include the last seven days, not the last three days or four what days if a movie on a Friday. Or that's okay. Well, guess what? You when Spider-Man No Way Home opens up on a Thursday night, and they don't open up on Friday usually, they open on a Thursday. So now you're talking about a three and a half day gross. It still makes a ton of money. And guess what? Week two, its numbers will be all the better. You're not hurting any movie by accurately reporting the total grosses they make. Some weeks, yes. Battle Lake Changjin 2 is number one, period. It's not changing based on three days versus seven days. It's number one film at the worldwide box office. That didn't change. What changed was how much money you talk about it making, 40 plus million or 370 million. That's the only difference. Sometimes the movie that opened up earlier and has seven days will make more money, but a lot of times it's the newest movie, even if it opened up for four days rather than seven. Don't worry about it. Report the full grosses. It's always a better story. And it's better to be accurate than to say, well, that movie only opened up for three days, so we're not going to compare it to the seven days. Or the other. It's like, 
So what? Why not? So <laughs> that's when, how much money it made that- last week. Ninety times out of a hundred, you're still going to be reporting about the same movie. You're just giving a bigger number, and that's better for box office, and that's better for the studios. Well, not if you come in second. If you come in second, you're second no matter what. Usually, it doesn't change the standings. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, I just raised it from ninety times out of a hundred to ninety nine times out of a hundred. Just so how emphatic I am. You can go back week after week. <laughs> the order of movies is usually the same. It's just a bigger number. That's all it is. Well, it's a bigger number, and it's better for them. Death on the Nile, for example, made thirty four million dollars this week. Next week, you're going to be saying Death on the Nile is not number one, and you're going to be saying it made instead of twelve million. You're going to be saying it made, you know. 7 million or 5 million. But if you cover the whole week's grosses, you might show, all right, last week made 12 million. This week it made another 12 million. That sounds better, doesn't it? Yeah, but you know what really sounds great? If you look at the top five films, this is what I was going to move on to was uh, all all of those films. Well, yeah, okay, they're all China. So yes, uh, all of those films week over week actually went up and most doubled the amount of money they made between week one and week two. They made right, more money in week two than week one. Well, it's, it's part of a big holiday weekend. And so par- part of that was, you know, opening up on like a Monday, you know, or the first or whatever. February 1st was a, a, a right. Monday, I believe. So or a Tuesday. So a lot of these movies open on a weekday on a Monday rather than a Thursday night, which is more typical in North America, which gives them the whole weekend. So, yeah. There's all sorts of reasons why they would grow week to week. It's a big holiday. They opened up on an off time for movie going. Monday is not as big a day as obviously Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So it all comes into play. But the main thing is you're hiding numbers. You're hiding a bigger number. And the order of the movies, studios are always winners and losers, but everybody gets to report a bigger number. And that's better for the box office and better for them in the long term. Uh, Number seven or whatever is Spider-Man No Way Home. And really, these rankings don't matter because... A Spider-Man No Way Home has been playing for weeks and weeks and weeks, whereas Death on the Nile just opened up. So it's not like one made more than, you know, Spider-Man made $28 million this week. Worldwide, it's at $1,804,000,000. Such a big movie, it even penetrated the consciousness of my brother, who called me up and said, is this true? It's already like one of the top grossing movies of all time. I go, well, already it's been in theaters. That's how it works. They don't usually make money four years after it opened. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) <laughs> so yes it's a big big hit and then we talked about adjusting for inflation yeah and spider-man no way home stars tom holland fine young actor i think he's very talented he also stars in uncharted this is a movie based on a video game franchise there are four main titles and extensions and spin-offs in that the movie costs about 120 million dollars to make the trailer to me looked like generic raiders ripoff it's him and mark Wahlberg, uh, but I like them. I might go check it out, though. It probably didn't get very good reviews. But since I have a movie pass from AMC and can go every week for free, uh, we'll get more to that later. Since I can do that, the, the barrier of me deciding is really just COVID. It's not whether the movie is that good or not. It might be dumb fun. And it made $22 million opening up overseas. It hasn't opened up in North America yet. So it's got a ways to go. But it's doing well in those territories. Right below that is Jackass Forever. That made $18 million. That's at about $50 million. It probably won't come close to what the last two movies made because pandemic, but it's certainly profitable. Sing 2 made another $18 million. That passed the $300 million mark. And then another new movie along here in North America, along with Death on the Nile, was the Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson romantic comedy, Marry Me. Marry Me, Sperling. It made $17 million this week, which is just about its budget, so that's okay. 
And Scream made $15 million. That's at $130 million worldwide. And then we have some Oscar hopefuls. Belfast made $5 million. Licorice Pizza made $3 million worldwide. And those two movies are doing the best. And in limited release, Drive My Car is doing pretty good. And and The Worst Person in the World, I think that's up for international film, isn't it? That's doing yes. quite well in limited release. So, you know, Oscar is giving a boost to movies. It's a different world. Some of the movies you can see in theaters, some of the movies you can see at home. Dune was available on HBO Max. Then after 30 days, it became a theater exclusive. They were hoping for an Oscar bump. They went wider this week, but it only made a couple hundred thousand dollars. I would have gone again, but... It's not in IMAX, and that was what I missed the first time around. So my only really big draw to go back to see it was if it could snag some IMAX screens. I'm not sure who had the right to that. Probably Death on the Nile, I guess, and soon it'll be Uncharted. But if Dune can squeeze in some IMAX plays, I would go to see it in the big theater, even though I have access to HBO Max at home. I'm sure it will be in your homes before the Oscar ceremonies. Well, you know, if you look at Licorice Pizza, it expanded. It's on 2,000 screens now, and yet it didn't do very well uh, for that kind of expansion. I mean, it's, it's doing no, okay. No, it's, 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 it's played out. It's played out for sure. It did not get a lot of Oscar love, so there wasn't a lot for it to, to, to jump on. It, it, it certainly got a Best Picture nomination, but it did not get all, you know, it didn't get actor and actress. It was not an overwhelming favorite. It did get picture and director, I should say. So that's that's certainly better than most movies, and I'm sure is delighted by it. Picture, director, screenplay. You know, it was a good day for Paul Thomas Anderson, but it wasn't a dominating Oscar performance. So, you know, it, it wasn't up for a lot of other stuff that it might have been. It didn't get any acting nominations. So I'm sure it, it's on people's radar a little bit. Certainly the fans of Paul Thomas Anderson have already shown up but uh, that's that's as far as it went. And it clearly will, you know, find a, a, a longer life at home. He's not a big director in terms of box office. No. You know? Right. So, no, you, you know, know you know what what I wanted to point out is, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about this later. Of course, Disney had their their um, their earnings uh, call. Thank you. I was like, you know, where they, they talk about the numbers, their earnings call. And one of the things Bob Chapek said, and this is the problem when you are 40% of the marketplace, something that never should have happened. Death on the Nile is a Fox film that, you know, Disney is for, you know, was forced to release. And they, they kind of. It's a valuable yeah, property. Had, I don't think they were forced. They oh. held on it until they could release it. And they hope to, you know, we keep telling studios release the films for adults. They're not going to come back until there's actual movies for them to go see. We can't just wait until people, all, all the adults are ready to go back. We have to provide some movies for them. And this is a studio doing a proper release of a movie that, you know, the last one did really well. I think they should be happy to have this movie. And, you know, there could yeah, be other. No, I agree. Yeah. Well, forced in, is not the fact, right word. In, well, Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney now, new Bob in a way, or Bob too, uh, he, uh, he said, oh, you know, the family film market, the market for family films, it's weak. It, you know, it doesn't really exist, which is why he put Turning Red, you know, he and Disney uh, moved the Pixar Turning Red onto, onto uh, Disney Plus rather than release it theatrically, to which I would say, you're Disney. You are the family film market. If you're moving all of your films to Disney Plus, of course nobody's go. I mean, who does he think went to see Spider Man No Way Home? Oh, just the fanboys. No young kids with families. Nope, nope. I mean, that was the one thing missing from the 2021 box office were family films. And Disney 
is a large part of that. Well, Encanto was released in theaters, and he said it only made $88 million domestically, and Sing 2 only made $300-whatever-million worldwide. That's not a Disney film. But there were, obviously, people were reluctant to go back to movie theaters, especially with their kids. Older adults, tell you, women and kids you, are a little more reluctant to go to movies, but if you don't release those films, and if you can make two or $300 million worldwide from a movie, gross it, surely that's better than just putting it straight on your service. I don't see any way we're making a $200 million animated film and not releasing it theatrically is a smart thing to do if you have the choice. And going forward, they have the choice. I don't see why they're taking Turning Red and putting it to, to Disney+. Plus. I agree they, with you. They just think they just think it's more valuable. You think anybody, any single family would say, I don't want to get Disney plus that movie didn't, you know, that movie's, you know, that movie played in a theater before it came to my home. Like nobody's going to care about that. If they think people see a movie as less because it played in theaters, uh, that just makes no sense at all. So turning red would have only been more valuable if it had a domestic theatrical run. And if you well, can that's take it. home $100 million and defray the cost, why the hell wouldn't you? And, and Encanto, I didn't even know. I mean, you and I are both in this business. We follow it religiously. Encanto comes out. I'm like, oh, yeah, they were making some. What was that again? And it's it opens in a week. And I still don't really even know that it's opening. And people are asking me, is there a Disney film out now? I just saw something when they, I. They had ads for it. They didn't dump it. It was they had ads for it. It was just during I know, the pandemic. But, that's all. You know, it's just during the pandemic, they released it. They got attention. They couldn't do the same hoopla as they normally would. There was no red carpet. There was no, you know, but they, they did what they could. I don't think that they dumped it. I think they released it properly. And the fact that it had a theatrical run didn't hurt it at all when it caught fire uh, on Disney+. Plus. Obviously, the Encanto soundtrack is number one again for the fifth week in a row, the longest running soundtrack for anybody since Frozen. And we don't talk about Bruno is the number one song for the third week in a row. Hey, uh, we yes, cannot that talk about it. We, yeah, I'm sorry. We, we shouldn't talk about it. That happened we after can't talk it about streaming, it. but there's no way, shape, or form that the movie was hurt by opening theatrically. And the money it made then is found money. Yeah, you got to pay to release it, but even if you broke even, it would still make sense to release it theatrically. It's more of an event. And nobody would think, oh, I don't care about that movie. You know, it, it, it played theatrically. <laughs> that's nobody thinks that way other than I think we're vehemently sex. agreeing with one another, but here's my question. Uh, we're disagreeing we, with just, Bob Chapek. Yes, correct. Uh, okay. You just mentioned that, that Disney advertised in Canto and you know, that was pretty much what they had to do to get gain attention because they didn't have red carpets. Guess what? Last night was the Super Bowl, And for those of you outside the country, Oh my God. Don't explain what football is. Wait, Everybody knows. Well, what wait a second. You're is. stepping on my joke. You're well, stepping on my last joke. Week you explained what football was. It's a game where they run back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game where they, no, I, that was in the newsletter, by the way, I didn't do it on. Oh, right. On right, right. Yeah, like, they use their feet and their hands instead of their feet. Right. Even though it's called football. Well, the irony. Yes. Yeah, well, because it's, it's rugby for wimps. I wanted uh, to argue about your newsletter, too, but I'll leave you alone. Okay, well, uh, what do you think of the, the ads? Well, I particularly ads liked all for, those ads for electric cars. What, there oh, were ads the for ads. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Jurassic World Dominion, The Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, Sonic 2, a Sonic the Hedgehog thing. And I would say those are all family films. The one that isn't is Jordan Peele's Nope. That's for older people, though a lot of teenagers and kids will go see it, of course. But maybe that one is not strictly a family film because it's a little older, a little more you know, scary and adult. All those others, 
Those are family films, Bob Chapek. <laughs> I don't know what world you live in, but Jurassic World Dominion and Spider-Man No Way Home, those are family films. It's not just animated movies. If he wants to talk about animated movies, stop thinking that family films don't have an audience. Spidey is the one of the highest grossing movies of all time, and that was seen by a lot of kids. The ads for electric cars included the electric Silverado, which had a reunion of Sopranos kids. Apparently, they survived that shootout in the diner. It's AJ and what's 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 Meadow? AJ never, and Meadow yeah. meet up. Meadow drives down the highway just like the show's opening, and I have the weird feeling like, hey, now they're in charge of the mobsters. Like, are we supposed to be happy that the mobsters are in Chino? Hey, good mobsters are back in charge. I thought that was bizarre. What does an electric Silverado, why you want to link them with mobsters is beyond me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, like I, seriously, it's a new generation. I, yeah, it's a, a new, new generation, generation of, of mobsters. Of yeah, and even mobsters <laughs> are going to use an electric car. Yeah, you know, the climate crisis. I don't know. What I do you that think was- of the DC ad? It was a minute long and they were like, let's put um all of them, all of them in one big giant. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Uh, but I will say this, The Lost City, I, yeah, I knew they were making this movie, but I had seen nothing of it. Watching the ad and the trailer, I now want to see this movie. I was like, oh, this looks kind of fun. It looks like Romancing the Stone. I think all yeah, of them were okay. pretty, pretty effective. Uh, Netflix had, like DC, they had a minute of just all the movies showing on Netflix with all the big stars and the really big pay, pay uh, money shot was... On sets of these movies, they had the stars in character, the stars that you would recognize, turning and talking to you like they're the character in the movie. So clearly, while they made all these movies, they said, all right, we need a shot of you, you know, turning the camera and saying, Netflix is part of your life or whatever it might be. I thought that was like, that's like MGM, you know, a galaxy of stars, more stars than there are in the heavens, you know? I really felt like that was a powerful thing. And then they spent a minute on the, the film, The Atom Project with Ryan Reynolds. Overall, the movies and TV stuff I thought was effective. Uh, they all did their job, right? I'm hoping Jordan Peele doesn't become the M. Night Shyamalan of horror flicks, though, because I was not happy with his last movie, and I'm not, I have no idea what's going on with Nope. I'm ready to see it, but I hope he thought through the damn screenplay, unlike the last one. And The Lord of the Rings, our in-house film critic, said, it looks terrible. It's all CGI. So I watched it, and I was like, I thought it looked fine. <laughs> you know, and of course, they may have rendering to do down the road, so they may not be wholly finished special effects. I'm going to give them that. Well, don't show it if it's not good. Sure, that's true, but I felt it looked like a spectacle. I'm a sucker for the rings of power, so I'm ready to watch that, and I don't want to hear anybody criticize it. So I'm just hoping it won't suck. <laughs> I, I loved uh, John Ham's ad with uh, Apple TV. He was, you oh, know, I, I just watched the movie trailers. It was a, it was a good one. Yeah, I mean, he's basically complaining, you know, because Apple TV is like, we've got everything. We've got this. We've got that. He's like, no, John Hamm. He's like, I could have done Lasso. I could have done Lasso. And then there's like, I guess there's some like uh, show where there's two Mahershala Ali stars as two different people. He's like, uh-huh. two Mahershalis? No, John Hamm. How is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting thing. The Speaking of the Lord of the Rings, the portions of the film and gaming rights to Lord of the Rings are up for grabs from the Saul Zansa state. So apparently, all the, nothing is more complicated than the rights to, the, to these projects because of all the movies and things and New Line and Warner Brothers and Saul Zantz and, oh, and the Tolkien estate. But apparently, there are certain rights that are available, and they're expecting to gross billion-plus dollars for these rights. And I thought, oh, they still have rights, but what about the TV show? Um, it turns out the family, the Tolkien family in the 70s, when they made that first deal with Saul Zantz, they carved out and withheld the rights, not to movies, 
not to whatever, but to a TV series of more than eight episodes. So they said, you know what? Someday we may want to make a Lord of the Rings series and it'll be longer than eight episodes. We're not talking miniseries. We're talking TV series. So we're going to hold that back. How they decided that should be the thing they hold back, I don't know. But boy, did it pay off when Amazon came a calling. <laughs> so the, good yeah, for the well, Tolkien family. I don't know how. I mean, why didn't they hold back the film? I'm just crazy. But there you go. I thought that was interesting. Well, but then there's the halftime show. Probably one of the best reviewed halftime shows initially, I would say, since U2 after 9-11, which everyone just thought, well, that was very powerful and important and they pulled it off. Uh, what did you think of the halftime show? What about Beyonce? Didn't she get good reviews or was that? She did. She did. Uh, um, but I still think this is universally acclaimed beyond all. Ma- I mean, people like the Shakira and uh, and uh, who was it last year? It was Shakira and Jennifer Jayla. Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. They got good reviews, but they don't all get bad reviews. They often n- normally get, oh, that was pretty good. But this was very strong acclaim for the hip hop's final appearance. You know, finally, after decades, decades after conquering the music world, they finally allowed hip hop to come on the stage of the Super Bowl with a lot of bleeping. You had Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, 50 Cent, Kendrick Lamar, and Eminem taking an E. So it was like the Dr. Dre show mostly, other than the Kendrick Lamar. Uh, but uh, we were going to have Sal Nunziato on later. He t- 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 tweeted me a joke. He said, Mary J. Blige made history by lip syncing off key. <laughs> yeah, well, that was before and she was lip syncing too. He, he, said, yeah. he said that before she even did it. Everybody lip synced. Did anybody sing live? I don't think so. I don't think they allow it because it's just too easy for something to go wrong and there's too many people watching. So everybody well, they, has they have click done track. live performances before. I know they have. I know you too didn't lip sync. No, no. Yeah. Uh, but but uh but yes, I thought the entire performance was geared towards the cameras and the 100 plus million people watching at home, not the people in the stadium, and that is absolutely the way to go. You cannot give a damn about the people in the stadium. Don't worry about doing fun little things for them to see. It's got to play at home. And I thought they did that very well with the setup that they had. They had you know, like sites from LA and bar- the barbershop and Eve After Dark and all these things that local LA people would know. And the way they segued from one act to another with all those different little sets was very, very smooth, very tight. And I, I thought it worked really, really well visually. Um, and I also felt really old. Yes, I, mean, I was going to say, as I was watching that, I was like, wait, isn't that from the night? Oh, my God. I feel like, I mean, Dr. Dre, he literally, first of all, he had to pay $7 million for that production because the Pepsi halftime show, Pepsi pays the NFL. The NFL doesn't pay the artists to do the halftime show. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a valuable <laughs> platform. I'm sure they're all happy. Well, but he has nothing to promote. It's not like he has a new album. He has his albums out. and music to promote. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So he has his career it, there was to a promote. Big de- there was a big uh, kerfuffle here in Los Angeles because if you a notice, kerfuffle. yeah, there was a bunch of, uh, you know, they have all these backup dancers and dancers that are on the field to kind of like, yeah, they're like extras in a way, you know, they fill out the space. Right. So they had this, this kind of tarp that they laid out that looked like Los Angeles from the air. It was it pretty yes, cool actually. Yeah. And in years and they past, were, they have used, they've made people work for free just to be seen on camera, maybe for a brief second, but they made an agreement this year to say, we're only going to use union people on this. We're not going to try and dragoon people to do this and exercise and, and do all the rehearsals that are necessary for free just so they can appear on camera. So they got rid of that nonsense, which it should never have happened even once. 
Well, it's not that they got rid of it. It's that the union came in and said, these are union people. If you do not pay them, they will not show right. up. They came to an agreement. They said, "You no, it was before they even began. It's not show up. They're not going to allow it. Right. They came to an agreement. They would only use union people and they would not force anybody to work for free. They came to an agreement. Yes, it wasn't that wasn't that the NFL or the music people rushed to do it. The unions forced them to do it. That's why you have unions. Right. And they weren't going to pay them. So they said, okay, fine. We're not going to pay you. So they've never paid them. They've never paid them. That's why they laid down the law this year before it happened. It wasn't that they, you can't say Dre planned not to pay them because it all happened before, before they came to, you know, before the act, they said, no, 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 we're not doing that anymore. And they made it clear. You're not going to use any union people this year without paying them properly. And so that was, I don't, I, I, you can't say that there was a plan for Dre to not use them. That's, that's not what happened necessarily. So all we know is that the union stepped up like unions will. They said, you're abusing these people for their one shot to appear on camera in front of a hundred million people. You're taking advantage of them. Yes, they'll agree to it, but that's not right. And you're not doing it. And they said, okay, yeah, you're right. We won't do that. So that was a good thing. And who knew Kendrick Lamar would be like the youngest person there? I mean, well, he's still quite young, but yeah, his, his song, all right, was eight years old by far. Every other song they sang was at least 20, almost 30 years old. I mean, we're lucky these people didn't kind of have to come out in walkers. You know, I mean, you know Snoop what, though, I, I heard that. At slow, the, yeah, yeah. I, I heard that at the at the party I was at. Uh, and uh, I said, yeah, well, what about Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, the Rolling Stones? I said, they're all like for you to have that much material where like it's so popular that everybody knows it and it's been around for two decades. Yeah, you're not going to be 10. You know, well, like, no, but this was this was like having in the 80s, having little Richard and the Everly Brothers host the Super Bowl. That's how long they waited. We have Beyonce who's at the peak of her commercial power. We've had the yes. weekend. We have had uh, 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 Bruno Mars, Tom Petty and Springsteen were not, you know, out of the game in terms of music. No, you know, I mean, they played Dr. Dre's comeback song from, you know, chronic 2001. That's 21 years old. You know, it's just, they waited a damn long time before giving hip hop. It's due. So, well, I will well, say this for, for, for younger kids, mm-hmm. uh, for some younger kids, they were like, who, you know, I know some of these people, I know Snoop Dogg. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is that Beats guy? Is that the guy from Beats headphones? I was like, oh, God. Yeah, I guess that's how you'd know them. You're making that up. No, I'm serious. You're just, you're just assuming that happened. No, your children said, who's this? That the, how would they know who the Beats guy is? <laughs> because they all wanted Beats headphones. Well, even if your kids don't know who Dr. Dre is, uh, at least it, finally hip hop got onto the halftime show. I think it was a big deal. Oh, I see what you're doing there. You're moving us along into uh, Inside Baseball. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a big deal or big whoop time. That's our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment, and we tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story, Movie Pass. Movie Pass, the pay one price, see all that, the movies that you want, subscription service. It is coming back. This summer, it will relaunch according to the once and future king, Stacy Spikes. This time, things will be different. Though quite how we don't know, although I do know because I've been writing a story on it, the original movie pass crashed and burned because it offered a monthly pass for one low price to every movie theater in the country with no deals in place. Avid moviegoers like Michael lined up to pay $20 a month and headed to their art houses and multiplexes. It worked. 
Some people went to a lot of more movies than others, of course, and may even have purchased more concessions. But it didn't work because MoviePass's scheme was a house of cards when they lower, certainly when they lowered the price. The more popular it was, the more money they lost, and the dream of becoming so big that theater chains would be forced to cut them deals, well, that never came to pass. The other idea was that studios and advertisers would pay for their data. That never came to pass either. Now they're doing it all over again. But the relaunch was mum on details, except for the idea that members will pay to watch ads that give them points so they can. No, actually, we, we, we don't know uh, how, how it's going to work. So is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, you're working on a story. You have no in new information that wasn't available at launch. Please tell us. Okay. Well, no, it's not. It's not. He did make uh, Stacy Spikes the found, original co-founder and CEO was kind of ousted from the company uh, before it like long before it imploded. Uh, and you know, he we know the history. We had, yeah. we had him on our show, right? Yeah, a couple times. Um, and so what what he's doing now is he's he bought the the rights to the name back. Yes. And. To, so anyway, so it, rather than it being, okay, you pay $20 a month and you can see one movie per day or whatever, it's going to be all credits based. So rather than lose money every time, it's going to be, okay, you have a certain number of credits. It's a wholesale play. It's a volume play. The goal is to drive- Do you pay business. for it? Yes, you pay for it. So you pay you for it and, then you, for and it. you pay to, for the privilege of watching enough ads to get a free movie ticket? No, no, no. You pay- to get credits. Now, if you want extra credits, if you want like to add to those well, credits. No, 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 But yes, we know that he made this vague thing. You're going to have credits and it's going to be, it's going to be owned by everybody. And we're all going to be together. How does it work? What do you pay a month? And what does that get you? How many movies? That is we still don't know, being, right? Right, right. It's right. all, so you don't know anything. What we do know is not, he says, studios can sign up. They can go online and fill out a form right now. Theater chains. No, 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 no. Exhibitors. Theater chains. Exhibitors, exhibitors can sign up. Yeah. How many have? Um, hello? How many? Zero? Actually, uh, there are, I talked to exhibitors last week and some of them are. None of them have to officially signed up yet. None. Zero. Right? I will say this. The people that are signing up, because yes, people are signing up, is, are, are not AMC, Regal, Cinemark. Well, of course not, but they're keeping it a secret? Uh, no, I think it's a matter of getting a, a certain number of them first. Look, they had to, they had to make an announcement. They made an announcement. <laughs> they didn't yeah. have to make an announcement. Nobody was saying, where's the announcement for MoviePass? So yes, so we have exhibitors who do not have their own monthly subscription service yet saying, yes, you'll provide all the back room and we're willing to match what AMC and Regal do if you come to our chain and we're not going to have our competitors in our same town. So it won't be, you, we're not going to be competing with ourselves or anybody else in our market. These are probably smaller cinemas who don't have yeah, other absolutely. small cinemas, right? So they're saying, we yeah. want to have a monthly pass just like AMC and Regal. That's all it is. That's not movie pass. That's just a monthly thing that it won't technically be an exclusive to that particular chain, but in Correct. practice it will be. Right. So they're getting a monthly movie pass just like AMC and Regal, where I pay $20 a month and I can go see three movies a week or whatever it might be for AMCs uh, here in Birmingham, Alabama. Right. That's, that's what I pay. I pay $20 a month. There are some major cities I can't go to. Uh, if I was okay. in New York or LA, I would have to pay 25 but I, have, I can go to see three movies a week and I am paying that right now. So some smaller theaters that exhibitors that don't quite have the infrastructure to offer that see a way to do it via this movie pass offering. I don't know why they don't just yeah. do it themselves. Right. But that's not movie pass. Oh, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's pure. Right. The reason to answer that question is just resources. They don't have the resources to pull it off themselves. How, How much like they be? don't. 
Oh, it's pretty darn hard. It's it's not easy. And not, no, nor, by the way, is building websites and maintaining websites. And they, they just don't have the resources. So they farm all of that out. Like they don't have their own websites. These right. are all this isn't templated movie websites. This isn't movie pass. This isn't you live in New York City and you can pay one rate, whether it's $30 or whatever, and go to any theater you want to. So or frankly, also- any of them, frankly, in New York City. <laughs> you know, they're not going to be signing a deal with Alamo Drafthouse, are they? No. Uh, actually, I think they already have, but uh, that's uh, not official. Not Why official, would Alamo you know? Drafthouse need movie pa- a defunct company movie pass to launch? I'll a tell you why. So, so what the goal is, the goal is, and I'm going to take hypothetical numbers here. $20, oh, you pay $20, you get 20 credits. Let's just say it's 20 credits, okay? Now, it's the same like Audible. It's the same as Audible in that regard. So- you can go to a movie Audible. You can, go to, you can listen to on Audible on Apple on Amazon. You can listen to as many books as they have in their library for free every month. You can listen to as a thousand books a month if you want to. There's no limit. You can also download and own one book for free every month, but that doesn't limit you to the number of books you can listen to. You have unlimited subscription. You, if it's in their library, which hundreds of thousands of books are, you can listen to as many okay, books well, as you want every month. So it's not comparable to Audible. Okay, well then throw the Audible analogy out. I haven't uh, been a member of Audible in eons. But that said, you can go to the movies. You have your 20 credits. You can go to the movies Friday night at 7.30. Right, right. Tuesday at noon is cheaper than Friday at 7. Correct. Fewer credits. So it's a way of driving traffic. Right, 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 right. Right. It's a big deal. I don't don't think think this is going to fly. I mean- but small chains have a, have have their own monthly subscription service. Yes, they want to encourage you in some way, shape, or form to go Tuesday at noon rather than Friday night. Fine, okay, you know. So you're going to blow through your money real quick if you go Friday night. You're going to use up 15 of your 20 credits, and so you know you're not going to do that. Are people going to like all that and paying attention to all that? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think that's a great way of doing it. If you want to have a loyalty program at Remains your small little seen, exhibitor, yeah. do it. Have a loyalty program. You know. <laughs> just, just, just do it. It can't be that hard. But the bizarre thing he said was uh, he learned that MoviePass customers were using the service as a discovery tool rather than a way to buy discounted movie tickets. What right. does that mean? Oh, <laughs> like they found. I didn't out know movies was- exhibited. I didn't know movies existed, or I saw a trailer on MoviePass, and that's what I used it for. No, I used MoviePass for discounted movie tickets, and I don't know anybody else who didn't. Uh, what they found Nobody out is. Went, no. Most of the people that were using it were going to see indie films like that was and mainly because they were in major markets like L.A. Yes. And New York. It's not because I didn't know they didn't exist. It's because suddenly I could go to Film Forum or I don't, actually right. that was one of the few that wasn't. I could go to Sunshine Cinemas and see all the movies I wanted for free. And I'm an avid moviegoer, so I don't need to see Spider-Man No Way Home 17 times. And that's what's on eight screens out of 20 at the movieplex. So once I've seen the big new movie, right. all the new movies are at smaller theaters and there are house movies. But it's not a discovery tool. It was never a discovery tool. And if that's what he thinks, he's wrong. Well, I have to say, I did see movies that I wouldn't have ordinarily seen. Of course, because, because they were pass. free, not because you discovered them on MoviePass and said, oh my God, there's a new Amodovar film. I have never heard of this man. Let me go check it out. That's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. And if they think they're going to get people to, f- to pay good money to see a movie on Tuesday at noon rather than Friday and Saturday night when they want to go, they're also living a fantasy. If, if you have no, if you can go Friday and Tuesday, great. But you know, this whole complicated credit thing, I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big supporter of that. I don't think that's a, you can have a loyalty program. You can have discount prices on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, do it all the time. Matinees, weeknights, 
Absolutely. Lower your prices. That's a great way people to come back to your movie theaters. Credits that you pay for. No, thank you. Well, let me ask you this. Will you be voting for the Academy Awards? Your favorite film? Absolutely. Okay. Well, maybe Spider-Man No Way Home will get named the best film of the year at the Oscars this year. No, it's it's not eligible, by the way, for a best picture. It's not. It, it just a, just a few tech awards. However, the Academy just announced they will allow fans to vote for their favorite film of the year via Twitter, and the winner of that particular poll will be announced live on air. Of course, it will be. You know, I, I, did, does anybody care about this? Actually, big deal or big whoop? Well, you tell me. You think it's stupid? Yeah, you know, I don't think people care. I Nobody's tuning in. They should have done it 20 years ago. There's no reason not to. But of all the ideas of how to boost the Oscars, this is the one that they latch on to, something that they could have done years ago and it's not that big of, you know, the the voiceover announcer will announce it as you, as you know, as, as the, as they cut to a commercial. Okay. You know, it's no harm, but of all the things they could do and all the ways to push movies and make it bigger. And like the Super Bowl, some people said, Hey, you know, Shouldn't there be exclusive new trailers, stuff you haven't seen? Like, even the Super Bowl ads were stupid. They're all available online days in advance. I, I think that, that I agree with you on that. I agree. I think that yeah. they should create a rule that if you put your stuff online, it can't air during the Super Bowl. Or, or just encourage them not to. Like, what, don't you want people to tune in and be, like, all over it? I, I just don't, you know, it can be on YouTube the next day. You know, you're not going to lose any, any attendance or action that way. So the second it's over on the air, you can have it on YouTube. But why do it in advance? And if you're going to have the Oscars, yeah, why not have an ad for, why not encourage the studios to say, hey, here's your first glimpse of Avatar 2. You know, and and hype it so that people know to turn to the, to, to the Oscars because, yes, it will be focusing on more mature, smaller films because that's what the best films of the year are. But you get to see cool stuff for lots of new big movies coming out for the rest of the year. You know, uh, the studios need to support it. And having an exclusive ad, you haven't seen other glimpses of that. It's your first glimpse of a movie. And the timing's great because they put out teaser trailers six, nine months a year in advance. So there's no reason you can't have something in March for something coming out in the summer or Christmas. Why you know, not? The, the interesting thing is... Uh, it used to be that I'd you know, kind of pay attention to the game, but when the commercials were on, don't bother me. I am watching the commercials. But right. now it's like uh, the commercials are on. Oh, anyway, so what were you saying? Uh, because yeah, I've exactly. seen all the commercials. Of course, you'll be able to watch Spider-Man No Way Home on the streaming service Disney Plus any day now. It's not on there yet, which surprised me Is it going to be on Disney Plus? I guess it will be because it's Marvel, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, wait. No, that's Sony, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's why. Ah, it's Sony. Well, what's their streaming service? Mm, crickets crickets none (laughs) amazon amazon they keep selling everything to amazon (laughs) and more of you are subscribing to that streamer disney plus they exceeded expectations of analysts and added almost 12 million new subscribers with the streamer now at 130 million dollars 30 million subscribers worldwide that's up 37 percent over one year earlier not quite the growth that we saw during the pandemic but still it's growth 37 percent people Netflix currently has, in comparison, 222 million subscribers, and Amazon Prime has about 200 million. And Disney Plus is third with 130 million. Is this, Berlin, a big deal or a big whoop? Uh, you know, it's it was played off as a big deal in the media. I think it's, you know, it's kind of in between. I think when you look, and we talked about this right before we started recording, about how Hulu is actually, but it's not a brand name. Hulu is not their brand. Disney is their brand. And of course, you know, subscription growth in the U.S. after last year slowed down because everybody who wanted a Disney Plus subscription got one and it was a brand new service. So you went from zero 
to, you know, 40 million subscribers, which is, I think, what they're at. They're up to 42.9 million subscribers. And now they're up to 130. But when you look at where some of those subscribers are in markets like India, where they only make a dollar per subscriber, you look at Disney Plus, they make about $4.41 per subscriber per month. Hulu, on the other hand, they make $12.96, the difference being advertising. So the, what they call the average revenue per user goes way, way up. And, but it's kind of hard to make that into something when it's Hulu, not Disney. Like Disney is the brand. That's what everybody's really, and by everybody, I only mean the financial people, the stock, you know, right. the Wall Street people. That's what they care about. Like, is Disney doing well? Well, Disney Plus does well. Go, they're doing well. You know, the fact that, well, they're all actually only making $4.41 on average per subscriber. The good news for Disney, guess what? They're opening in more countries. They're going to start, uh, you know, 14, I think, uh, different. I, I can't remember how many. I think it, it is like 14 different territories they're opening in. Yeah, this I think year. And HBO has about 40 plus, you know, yeah. so they've still so, got new areas to go in, but slowly, but they're obviously smaller markets and we're not talking about means, you know, the biggest countries in Europe, we're talking about smaller markets, but still markets, more people, more money. So my mom is happy because the Gilded Age, the Julian Fellows uh, new series has just been renewed by HBO for season two. The Hollywood sign they just announced is being changed to celebrate the Super Bowl winners of Hollywood. It's Rollywood, R-A, Rams, Rollywood. looks like that's what it's going to spell out. Something like that for a few days. And they've just announced the hosts of the Oscars. It looks official now. Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes are all going to host the Oscars. So that's wow. interesting. Amy yeah. Schumer. Go figure. Why not? Absolutely. She's a movie star and she's very funny. Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes. Very funny. Very Regina funny. Hall. Tremendous talent. Is that actually a picture of Regina Hall? I'm not sure if they've got the right picture up there. I would Maybe agree I'm, with you. I'm looking at the Hollywood Reporter and I'm going, I guess that is Regina Hall. I don't know. That doesn't look like her. An, it doesn't quite look like her. Uh, I'm just an ass, maybe. Um, but uh, there you go. It's maybe it's from years ago, where it's just a, f a different angle or something. But okay. Um, but you know, she's a, she's a chameleon of an actress, so you know she can look like anyone. But you know, she's one of our best actresses right now for sure. So three women to host the Oscars, just like uh, 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 what's her name from you're, the Office? Yeah, and you're thinking of uh, yes, it is Regina Hall. You're thinking of Regina King, who? Does oh, I am thinking of Regina King. Oh, yeah. I am racist. No, well, no, I think it's the Regina name. I always get those two confused. And there's a, somebody else I'm always confusing because they oh, all Regina have Hall is the co more comic actress who was in Girl Trip, Girls Trip. Yeah, right. Okay. Exactly. I, I, I yeah, I, I just assumed they meant Regina King because she's such a great actress, <laughs> but she'll probably be winning something. So no, she's not nominated this year, but she is a great actress. Regina Hall is very funny, I'm sure. Um, but there you go. All right. Well, that, that can that can that, that definitely was not Regina King. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't look like Regina King. Uh, okay, Whitey. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> no, well, uh, but anyway, know. that that wraps up big deal, big whoop, doesn't it? It moves us on into inside baseball. Tell us about that. Well, Michael, if you really need to know, inside baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business, and more importantly, how they affect you. Of course, 
What are people talking about every year, Michael? You name your best albums of the year right before the Grammy Awards, stealing all of their thunder. It stops with traffic. COVID, it stops traffic. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially all the billboards and, you know, in Times Square and everything. But, you know, COVID's delaying music's biggest night for the second year in a row, I might add. Uh, Michael can wait no more. He's going to he's just posted his best albums of the year. And they include everything from a collaboration between a jazz legend and a young upstart DJ to power pop band the John Sally Ride. Here to discuss the year's best music and share his own list is Sal Nunziato, the creator of the Burning Wood Music Blog, one-time co-owner of the music store NYCD. You see what that title did there? Because CD is in the title. You see, like NYP. Keep anyway. going. Keep going. Uh, but, you know, all, you know, by the way, uh, Sal owned that store back when music stores were still a thing. And he is also the drummer in the band. Wait for it. Get this. The John Sally Ride. Sal, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. And today is uh, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Sal. Do you have a favorite Valentine's Day song? A favorite Valentine's One Day song? One romantic song I, for you know, your my wife? Favorite, my favorite song of all time is Stardust, and there is That's no it. more romantic lyric than that, so I'm just going to go with that. You got, a, you got a killer version that comes to mind first? Um, many great versions of Stardust. Yeah, I... I guess Nat King Cole is the most obvious choice. I do like Hoagie singing Hoagie. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and, and it's, I thought, you know, I have more versions of Sonny in my iTunes library, which is another favorite song, than I do mm -hmm. of Stardust, which I should start collecting more Stardust, actually. Well, today in music history, John and Yoko, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, began a week of hosting the Mike Douglas show. Oh, yes. That was, I remember that when I was a kid. Whitney Houston released her debut album. And today in 2022, Darlene Love sang on The View for Valentine's Day because she couldn't be there for Christmas. So uh, talk about someone who should do a Super Bowl halftime show. Darlene Love, that would rock the house. <laughs> but anyway, we wanted to catch up with you. Of course, you have a business buying and selling vinyl. We have a link to Burning Wood, your uh, blog, music blog. And it also has links to your business. So if people have vinyl and it's gathering dust and they're ready to let go and they, they're not listening to playing it like the way they used to go to Sal. He'll, he'll give you a great price and your music will find a new home. But how is I, the business? I, I wish they were ready to let go. That's that <laughs> seems to be the big speed bump in my business. And, and, and it's, it's been like this for years. They, it's just, they, they hear vinyl is back. And so they immediately assume their vinyl is gold. <laughs> right. And, it's going to be worth and, tens of thousands of dollars. Right. And most of the time it's not. And um, if, if it's not just that difficulty, there's the, the difficulty of, you know, I always say to people, I'm buying your records, not the stories attached to the records. <laughs> because it's... It, it, you know, I bought this. I was my dad took me to the store, and, and and it's like it's still not worth anything, no matter how many stories you have. So, but it's a Beatles it, album. It's a Beatles album. <laughs> yeah, it's sadly, you know, some Beatles. Yes, most Beatles, they're everywhere. So, is there so? But that's that's a lifelong problem. Uh, how is the business today compared to a year or two ago? Uh, is is there is there is it steady? Is it? Falling? I've had. The two COVID years have been the two best years. It's, it's, it, you know, talk about irony, right? You know, I, I can't leave the house. I'm not allowed to go anywhere. And I have to make 15 trips to the post office every week. Business <laughs> just took off because record stores closed, record shows stopped, flea markets closed. So all the record fanatics needed to, um, 
shop online. And now, you know, again, more irony. One of the reasons my shop closed is because we just had no customers. We had amazing inventory and nobody to buy it. Now I have a ton of people looking to buy records and I can't keep inventory in because it's becoming harder and harder, harder to find record collections for the reasons I just mentioned. People don't want to give them up. People want, you know, I could only buy so many CDs too. I tried, I tried, I was in the store, I bought CDs. You know, it's, it's still, it's still, it's fun and it's, and I'm, and I'm doing well. I, I want to do better. Um, I want to go on, you know, I want to get 10 collections a week, not one, you know, I want to get 10 collections a day if I could, you know, like there's never enough. So is there any uptick in interest in compact disc, the compact disc, Um, compact discs are back. No, they're not. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing as like, oh, cassettes, you could sell, you know, you could sell heavy metal cassettes, hip hop cassettes and punk rock cassettes for like 30 40 and 50 bucks depending on the title people it's it's all about that little trendy thing but no compact discs are are not back and it's a i i think one of the issues making compact discs more appealing um right now is because of how difficult it is to get vinyl pressed so what's happening is a record is released. Let's say the new John Mellencamp, the John Mellencamp had a release back in January. The vinyl release doesn't come until July. Wow. Thank you, Adele. Well, right. That's what, that's sure. It's easy. It's easy to say that, but it's before Adele, there was still a lag. And for people, I just, you know, I, I think it's important. Another good example here: Todd Rundgren's uh, new Duke co- collaboration record was due last summer, but his label Cleopatra—they are an old-fashioned label. They wanted all formats released simultaneously: digital, CD, vinyl, all at the same time. And Rundgren doesn't care. He doesn't. He doesn't care about that. He the music was ready. Put it out digitally. Then when the CD's ready, put it out. And then when the vinyl's ready, put it out. But it's a problem. I think it's a problem. And I'm sure people, some people out there would agree. You put something out digitally and the, the, the vinyl people, they're going to wait. I know vinyl people who won't buy CDs. I know CD people who won't buy vinyl. I know people who stop buying altogether and just stream. Like but me. I believe More- if it all comes out at the same time, all the people are going to get what they want. And more importantly, if I maybe would have been coerced into or felt like, okay, I'll buy the vinyl or buy the CD, uh, but if I can hear it streaming and it's been out for a few months, it'll feel like old news and I just won't be driven to buy it. Absolutely. And and I'm, you know, I have a, a, a few friends, some band members as well, you know, there's so much music you want to listen to and, and sometimes you just grab it when you can, but on certain artists, favorite artists. I want the hard copy. I want to do it the right way. I don't. I don't like a single this week, a video in two weeks. The new no, single. Yeah. I, if if there's a, if there's a new Todd Rundgren record coming out, or it, it, anybody, you know, whoever it may be, um, if it's a favorite artist, I want to unwrap it. I want to put it on the turntable. I don't want to be vacuuming while I'm listening to the music. I want to listen to it. I want to look at the cover, and I want to absorb the music. 
And as you said, you stream it, you see a video this week, another video. By the time the record comes out, you've heard five songs already. It's out of the sequence that you would, you know, the, the, the album sequencing, which I still think is important. So for me, it, yes, there's a shortage. And I think that's what's making streaming and CDs even more appealing these days because you just can't buy the vinyl. You have to wait. Well, this is a, the geekiest I'll get before Sperling dies in and talks to you about like what's driving traffic on your blog. But on your blog, you can link to another thing where it shows what you're listening to every day. The stuff on your iPod on shuffle, the singles, the 45s, the vinyl, the albums, whatever you're listening to, you list it every day. And a few days ago, you were touting an album with the Kevin Gray cut of say Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell or the Kevin Gray cut of Boz Skaggs album Silk Degrees both of which are great great albums I'm like what is that and I googled it and I'm like he seems to be a remastering guy and then you explain to someone else no 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 this guy mostly I'm talking about he's cutting the lacquers he's overseeing the cutting of the physical lacquers that they print so they can stamp out new vinyl copies and he's a master at that he also does remastering but mostly you're discussing about that this guy oversees new vinyl pressings of stuff and it's not necessary is it like always mobile high fidelity super expensive versions or is it just he's the guy in charge and he's doing it for the label he uh, if i may just that list that i that i keep on that separate blog now playing Mm -hmm. it it may seem very random it, it began as as a conversation starter i thought that if people on the blog clicked on it and saw that I was listening to a certain record, it would trigger a conversation about the record and there'd be more discussions about music, which I never get tired of. But it also became something that that I just enjoyed doing. I like to look back and see how many times I've listened to something. It, it just, but I do also, too. But, but also, it's a lot of what I listen to is all part of the business because... I have to play test a bunch of records. So, you know, maybe the first six things I listen to are records that I'm checking out to make sure I could grade them properly. So it's a very random thing. Now, as for Ke- Kevin Gray, prior to Blue Note's Tone Poet series, which is about two years or three years old now, I did not know who Kevin Gray was. Um, but I did buy one of the first Tone Poet releases. I think it may have been chikuri is now he sings now he sobs aside from the package being one of the most beautiful packages i've ever seen for vinyl these these tip on gatefolds you know almost laminated and glossy and and a work of art yeah the records were the quietest they use the term warm when they discuss vinyl versus digital warmest um, I felt like I was in a sound, like a, a perfectly soundproof studio or, or a, a soundstage listening to a, a jazz trio play. I, I was blown away by, by the sound. And so I got hooked on the tone poets. And then I started seeing his name pop up on other things. And he does remaster from analog tape the Blue Note series. But on the other records that he's done, for instance, um, the two you mentioned, which are out on the Friday label, which, you know, I'm a little sketchy on, but, but, or, or I find them a little sketchy, I should say. Um, people are boasting. They're saying you, you will never hear 
a better version of Boston's first record than the Kevin Gray cut of the Boston record. You will never hear the meatloaf. And I always thought Friday was just a standard reissue label because the, the guy who owns Friday records, Joe Riagoso, can't get any answers from him. <laughs> Is this remastered? Are these original tapes? Are these from this? Are these? Th- and anytime I would ask a question, he would delete the question from Facebook back <laughs> when I was on Facebook. It's as if I was like, you know, exposing Enough, him. Kid. Stop asking yeah, me, like, kid. He answer me. But it's, as it turns out, Kevin Gray co-remastered a bunch of these records for Friday, and they are stunning. I mean, th- there's just something about it. It's, it's like... It's the first time you heard a CD versus vinyl that back in 1988. Yeah, know, I did. That, that's how I'm feeling now when I listen to a Kevin Gray cut versus the original vinyl of it. Very cool. So when you're a geek, you can see Bill Inglot used to do all this stuff for Rhino Records. Rhino, say, oh, yeah. You'd see him remastering. You'd be like, Rudy, the late Rudy Van Gelder did a lot of Blue Nell. Yeah. yeah. And so this is a new name to add to the list. If you see his name involved, you know, you're going to be getting a quality product. Absolutely. Where are you selling your, your vinyl? I mean, where do you, do you sell through eBay or? Um, prior to the, to the pandemic, um, I had been doing record shows, which take place. Um, you know, there's a record show every weekend somewhere around the country, you know, and I, many of my dealer friends, they traveled you know, up and down the East Coast. Some go to the South. Um, there was one in Birmingham, or or one coming up in Birmingham um, on oh, March sixth, I believe. I'll see you. I'll see you there. And, um, but once the pandemic started, uh, I t- do it strictly online on Discogs uh, mostly. And if I have something that I think I could get more money on, I'll do it on eBay. But but it's mostly through Discogs. And we've got a link to his website, which has a link to his store, his, his, his area on Discogs and all the stuff that he does. Yeah, it's basically whatever is, you know, I, 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 I list whatever I can. If it's not nailed down and I could get $5 for it, I'll put it up for sale. But I also, I try my best to, to not load the website up with cheap thrift store garbage you know the the if i have if i have 500 records listed at any given time i could stand behind 490 of them you know i mean it's i try to keep it where it's mostly quality what's generate you've got the blog that's where i visit every day to see what you're talking about and you do everything you tout classic cuts that grab your attention uh you're posting you know youtube videos so people can play it right there you have weekly playlists you do for the weekend where you pick eight or ten songs at a mix that strikes your fancy you review new albums and reissues you share your passion by diving into the catalog of say todd rundgren or david bowie you discuss a newfound appreciation of elliot smith who i never really paid enough attention to so thank you for that and you offer up childhood memories from what i hope is your memoir in progress and so on what really creates i'm serious about that what really creates traffic what drives it for you what gets you the most response or what do you find you know really gets Um, people going Usually, it's it's the big three, okay? The Beatles, Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones. If you have something to say about those three, there's going to be a conversation. Um, and, and that's why Mojo and Uncut and all these British magazines right, and Rolling Stone have them year. on the cover four times a year. Exactly. And I buy it. And... Um, you know, and, I, and you never know what's going to really take off. I mean, I've, pu- I've posted songs... 
that I thought would be, you know, that, that, that I'd get a hundred people saying, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And then you go back and there are two comments, you know, <laughs> uh, or you post something that you think is going to just, you know, be a, a, a space saver away. Yeah. yeah. Better. And people are going nuts over it. You know, I, I really, I don't know. You would think after 13 years, I would know. I do know my readers a bit. I, I, I my readers, um, there's very little tolerance for heavy metal. And I, you know, uh, I, I don't say I follow heavy metal the way I follow other music, but I, I do, I do love classic heavy metal. Um, I happen to, one of my favorite bands is the Bad Brains. And if I mentioned the Bad Brains, you could be sure that it's dead style crickets. Um, reggae is a tough sell on my blog. Um, Except for Bob Marley, know, jazz, I jazz is a tough sell on my blog. Oh, it, it, yeah. it, it's it's classic rock. You know, it, it's it's rock, you know, New Orleans alt, alt rock, you know. But but yeah, it's it, it's that's what generates the conversation. Um, does it? Do you feel? Do you feel excited by the blog, or does it feel like a beast you have to feed, or you've got a happy, good relationship with it, where where you've got I just, something? I decided. I decided a couple of years ago, and uh, and and. I'm going to quote my my ex business partner Tony Sachs because he's he's the one he said this in a piece he wrote for the Huffington Post that accompanied his favorite records of the year. There wasn't a, a single record on that list that had come out in the year he created the list. It was all reissues, and what he said was one of the only good things about closing my store was I didn't feel the need or pressure to listen to new music anymore. And that's the decision I made with the blog. I am not going to try to keep my finger on the pulse because there's too much of it. I think there's way too much that shouldn't be heard. I think that anybody with garage band and a kazoo is releasing records and I that's what I, we have coming up next week I, I just don't I don't need to I don't need to hear it there's too much there's too much good music that has already been released that has not been explored and so the blog is whatever I feel like writing about and if it's if it's the mojo route which is three posts about the Beatles in a week I'm writing right. about the Beatles because if it's that's what's you know that's what's thrilling me at the moment so the blog is not an albatross. You don't feel like, oh man, what am I going to do for the blog? You've no, got a good relationship with it. Great. I, I, I love doing it. I, I if I don't do it, there 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 have been times where I've taken an exasperated break for mental having, health purposes, like like Naomi Osaka. I, well, yeah. Well, well, just because I, I, there are trolls, there are there are people that 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 write abusive things to me. Yeah. God. And and. I, I would accept the abuse if I knew who it was. I would prefer <laughs> the two of you to, uh, to to verbally abuse me, so I at least have an idea of how to fight back. It's it's the anonymous trolls that I just I just now I just ignore them and get rid of them. But before I was I was losing control and trying to have a conversation, so I would stop it. And then after two weeks of not doing the blog, I would get like nervous. I have to do it. I <laughs> yeah. want to do it. Let's have a fight right now. The, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced new nominees who are eligible this year. They made the shortlist, sort of. It's like seven or eight people. Sperling will name them. I will blurt out yes or no whether I think they deserve to be in the hall. And you say, 
No. Okay. Or yes, of course. All right, Sperling, do it. Okay, here we go. Uh, not th- so this is not in the hall, correct? These are new nominees who are eligible, and they've made the shortlist okay. this year, so they can be voted on, and you can put them in the hall if you're a hall voter. Okay. New nominees are Beck? I would say yes. Um, I'm not a fan. I think he's a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, I, I don't love his records. I think each of his records has something great, but but there's never been one record, not even Odelay, not Sea Change. <gasps> there's, there's never been a record where I said, "Holy, this guy is something else." I, you know, I, I I understand it, but no. Okay, Duran Duran. No, sorry. Um. No, although I like more Duran Duran records than I do Beck records, but singles, singles, you mean? Yes, yeah, singles, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. but, but no, no. Eminem, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Sadly, we're we're not video because he just gave a very expressive shrug that said it all. I was like, eh. Uh. I have no <laughs> problem with I have no problem with hip hip hop being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I I absolutely believe Public Enemy should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, NWA, I, I I don't know. I guess I, I and and I know that there are people. I, I, let me rephrase that. I know people who are not into hip hop, who love Eminem. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. He's I, it's something I can't, I can't get it. You know, I tried, but I can't. NWA is in the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. Of course, as they should be. Dolly Parton. You know, I'm going to preface this by saying to me, the rock and roll hall of fame is the pop music hall of fame. Every genre is up for grabs. Once you've got, R&B and soul and disco and whatever it's the BG, you know? Yes, of course. Dolly Parton, she's influenced so many people in rock and Americana. There's no reason why you wouldn't. Everything Michael said, I agree with. Yes. And NWA is also in the Hall of Fame. I wasn't sure, but they are. Lionel Richie. I would say no, but the Commodores, yes. Um, At best. I would say say no. Are the Commodores in? I don't think so. Uh, right? I'm looking. They're in the Alabama Music Hall of Fame. Uh, right, so well, no, they're not. They're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Enough for them. I, I, it's. I don't even think the Commodore should be. You know. Fair enough. Whatever. He's got enough money, right? He's had a good career. He's got some good they're songs. God bless him. You know, the Commodores and, and Lionel Richie are, are very entertaining. And I remember the year. I want to say it was Fats Domino who canceled, but it may have been some, it may have been the Neville brothers, but one of the major big acts at the new Orleans jazz fest canceled last minute. And Lionel Richie was who came to the rescue to close out the big stage. Did you do a good show? Everybody groaned. Everybody went, Oh, Lionel. He knows how to put on a good show though. And it was, it was, everybody agreed. It was one of the greatest things ever, but does that mean he influenced the influence? Yeah. <laughs> did you, you watch know? the Did you watch the halftime show? I did. I used your joke about Mary J. Blige. She made oh, history ball, by lip syncing flat. <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoyed everything, but but Mary J. I yeah. she's I think she's terrible, you know. And 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 the, all of her the defenders of oh, but she's so real. My mother's real. Nobody's given her a record deal. <laughs> flip, flip, flip the last two, Sperling. Read the last one and then the second to last one. Read the last one first. I was going to say, we are the world. 
Yeah, God bless them. That should Lionel not be Richie? in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, that's like, like you know, I don't think he even has an album necessarily that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Meatloaf, I don't think deserves to be in the Hall, but I would say Bad Out of the Hell should be in the Hall. Obviously, you can't tell rock and roll history without Bad Out of Hell. I don't think he has a career for the Hall. I like him a lot, actually, personally. But I think Bad Out of Hell should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It should be there when you go. If, in terms of albums that are by people who are not in the Hall, that should absolutely be in there. I don't think Lionel, Lionel Richie absolutely doesn't have a an album like that that deserves to, even an album or song that really like, oh, my God, you can't tell the history of music without that. You know, Endless what about, Love will be all right. What about A Tribe Called Quest? I would say yes, a very important alternative hip hop band. You know, that's my that's my vibe yep. for sure. I, I'm I'm with you. Yes. And okay. what about uh, you know you're so vain, Michael? You probably think this next one is about you, okay? Uh, Carly Simon. I do. I do not think Carly Simon. As Sal has talked about her, and there was one album in particular that I'm like, all right, I've never really paid attention, and I I just I I liked her best album, but I don't love it, and I I, I can't quite get behind her. Um, I'm a bigger fan. Um, I do think that she's one of those artists who peaked early and probably has more mediocre records than fantastic records. So I, I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, she wrote You're So Vain and yeah. Anticipation and Haven't Got Time for the Pain and and Embrace Me, You Child. And these are all... And Mockingbird, or at least she sang on Mockingbird. Amazing songs, but post nineteen seventy eight, there's a lot of dreck. So I, I don't know. I, I really like what's it called? Let the river run from uh, from the movie. Working girl, yeah, I, yeah. I, I really like that song. I do. You know, yeah, I mean, and there's also "Touched by the Sun," which which was from like the early nineties. That is is absolutely gorgeous. But and that's one. And she has, I'm sorry, and she has one of my favorite lines of all time. There's more room in a broken heart. I think that's just a great, great line. I just, I just, I love it. Yeah, but uh, it's maybe just not enough. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's not so bad. And of course, a lot of the people are not in the hall. We found out that Public Enemy and NWA are as they should be. And when you get to a list of the people who deserve to be in the hall, perhaps, and aren't like, the Monkees, Harry Nielsen, The Meters, The Fairport Convention, Richard Thompson, for God's sakes, Rachel Linda Thompson, Patsy Cline, Nick Drake, Merle Haggard, if you're going to do country, Tom, you know, there's an endless, Boz Skaggs is not in the hall. I was a little surprised by that. I guess his heyday came and went. He's done, talk about a good career with still doing great albums late into his career. He was in the original Steve Miller band. He was the, he was the lead guitar player. Oh, right, exactly. I well, mean, he's speaking on of yeah, all right, speaking of classic rock, are you still enjoying the music of Eric Clapton and Van Morrison despite them being bozos on COVID? Um, no. I mean, you know what? It's, it's, here's the thing, okay? There is not really that much Eric Clapton music that I loved anyway. I love I loved the Derek and the Dominoes record, Layla, and, yeah. and I will still play the Derek and the Dominoes record because there's more to it than Eric. Yeah. I love the Cream records because there's more to it than Eric. Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, classic records. But no, I, 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 don't, I don't need to hear, and I don't have a desire to hear anything, you know, and, and – Again, with Van, you know, 
I was never the biggest Van fan the way others are. I have the records that I think are, you know, Astral Weeks uh, is is wonderful. Moon Dance is wonderful. I even like some later records. But a lot of it to me is um, it's just Van doing Van over and over and over again. So, you know, this this whole anti-vax thing and the, the stupidity. They're just dumb old men. <laughs> you know? yeah, but it's, but, they, but the, they're dumb old men who speak to a lot of people who listen yeah. to these dumb old men. And that's yeah. dangerous. And and I have a hard time with it. It's a very, it's a very sore spot for me. Now, you can't go to any streaming service that doesn't have people like Joe Rogan on it. You know, Apple Music has, you know, Sean Hannity podcast. And also, but I don't think they've been paying him a lot of money. Do you have any problem being on Spotify? Or you're like, no, you know what? It's, it's I, a platform. Um, it's a platform. I, I think that the, the, the people who are dropping Spotify for title and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that, it's sort of like a good gesture. Yeah. You know, the, the, the same way, you know, you know, to, to, it's like, it's like killing like one roach in the corner of your kitchen thinking that you've gotten them all, you know, it's just <laughs> not going to, it, it's not going to do anything. You know what I mean? But it does, it, I do keep killing the roaches when I see them though. My point, my point is there's, yes, great. So there's no Neil Young and there's no Graham Nash and there's no, that's great. Okay. There's still a million artists on Spotify who knew exactly what they were getting into. This, there are artists with their own playlists. So it's not like Spotify woke up and said, hey, guess what? Insert band name here. Here's your check for 58 cents. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it just it's the way it is. You know, yeah. I mean, sorry. It's, I know that sounds like a very unpopular thing to say, but I, I, I that's how I feel about it. And well, I don't need it that often anyway. <laughs> I buy my record. I buy records. I buy music. I'm sorry. What is that? When you see so you have money and then you give it to somebody and then they give you something that has music on it. That's uh, yeah. That's exactly right. People. I'm, I'm, I'm writing I, this down. This is a novel idea. I I I I mention it on the blog quite often, and 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 I know it's it it it, it annoys some people, but it's like you know there are these sites with a couple of keystrokes. You could download every new release for nothing, and and I know that that's what people do all the time. And I don't know why they I, bother with Spotify and all them. I guess they don't want to pay the eight dollars well, a month. So they could throw it in their iPods, so they could yeah. burn discs, whatever the case is. I'm not even saying I'm not even saying I don't visit. I've visited these sites before, and and occasionally I'll go. Oh, good, I could check this out. But anything that I like. I buy. It's it's been like that. It's a it's talk about a terrible business practice. You know, I'm wearing concert t-shirts from 1981. You know, <laughs> that's my wardrobe because all my money goes to. What concert t-shirt are you wearing today? Oh, this isn't one actually. Oh. This is. It's, it looks like a drummer. It's just a t-shirt of a drummer, a space yeah, alien drummer with four yeah. hands. The um, if if I had the money and I have no money, I would I would probably buy the best albums of the year. When I come up with the thirty or forty or fifty albums that I do every year, I would like to add those to my physical library. Uh, and I used to buy hundreds of albums a year, but uh, just I have no income anymore. So that yeah, I mean, it, 
I understand. I, I mean, I get that. And I understand. No, no, I'm not looking for excuse. I'm just saying, I think that's great. And I think that's, that's no, awesome. I mean, but, but that's a lot. It's not your excuse. It's the excuse of thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, you know? Well, what, what are your, your top records of the year, Michael? We, we talked about the, the hall. We haven't well, st- mentioned. Well, I've got you- about 40 albums and we've got a link in our show notes. Sal has about 20 albums that he highlighted uh, in reverse order, Sal. So when you go, read the blog you're gonna what's gonna be number one it's exciting i just i just blew it right at the top so we have a top 10 list here on the charts we share five of them so that's cool uh you can see that i get influenced by sal he mentions an album and talks about a lot i'm gonna check it out and you know some of that credit belongs to him when we share an album uh so my number one album of the year is floating points and pharaoh sanders floating points is a dj pharaoh sanders is a jazz titan a lion in winter perhaps and their collaboration is called promises a lot of people highlighted this album so i'm not like pulling out some obscure thing or showing how hip i am this is a very well best record of the year number was it mojo oh good for them it's just a great mix of and and I I do I do like the record. I think it's a, a wonderful record. And I just ordered a, a vinyl copy of that record. The reason it didn't end up on my top twenty is because I found it to be a very demanding listen. I I can't just like I can't remember things from the record. I know when it's on. I'm enjoying every moment of it, but. It, it, it's not a record that I could go back to. It's it's like the difference between you know seeing a great epic film and then really too heavy to see a second time. Whereas you know, there are, yeah. on, I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll watch Jaws. <laughs> right. So then I have the Coral, a British band with their new album Coral Island. I have a Mexican artist Citangana with El Madreleño. Then the great Robert Plant and Alison Krauss with their second collaboration, seventeen years after their first. That's Raise the Roof. Brandy Carlisle followed up her big breakthrough album with a very Joni Mitchell-influenced album called In These Silent Days. Amy Mann, another act that we have in common with her album Queen of the Summer Hotels. John Mayer, shockingly now, lately, I've been really liking John Mayer, his 80s anthem, uh, Sob Rock. Allison Russell, an Americana artist with Outside Child. Cheap Trick with In Another World and the John Sally Ride. Now is not a good time. If anybody knows me, I I would end the friendship with Sal before I would put an album of a friend of mine on the list. Normally I say, oh, I don't review albums by friends or I don't include things by books. People, I tell them constantly, I have friends who write books. They have got plays. They've got, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, before I hear it or see it, I'm like, yeah, I just don't review or write stories about it. We know each other. I can't do it. It's conflict of interest. And I would have said the same to Sal. And then I listen to the album. I go, oh, I'm glad I said that, you know? So, but in this case, it's on the list because uh, I like it a lot. It's great. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. Sal's list is great. Tell us, Sal, what's your number one album of the year? My number one album of the year was Southern Culture on the Skids at home with Southern Culture on the Skids. Um, that record came at just the right time. You know, it, it, it's pandemic. You needed something to to look forward to to have a little something fun in your life as opposed to looking at numbers rise and it did the trick it was yeah yeah it's it's a lot of fun and we've got five albums in our top 10 sharing like amy mann cheap trick the john sally ride 
cool on you to include. You're like, damn it, I worked on it. I'm proud of it. And here it is. And that Robert Plant, Allison Krauss collaboration, which is just great. If you listen to Raising Sand, I feel like this new album isn't getting the same attention somehow, but maybe it's just the world we live in and they can't tour and stuff. But who knows? But you pointed out an album to me and you've really brought me on to uh, The Monkees. If you read my my post about the best albums of the year, you'll learn how and why I grew to appreciate them more. And a lot of that has to do with Sal and Burning Wood. You've got Mickey Dolan's Dolan Sings Nesmith, which is in my top 20. I um, I came a little late to that record. I don't mean, I mean, it can't be that late since it's, it's a, a 2021 release, but I wasn't eager to listen to it. It just seemed like a cash-in, you know, oh, let's just hear Mickey do more monkey stuff until I heard it. And um, I guess it's, credit has to be given to, to Christian Nesmith, uh, Mike's son, playing most of the instruments, arranging the songs in fresh new ways. And Mickey's voice, um, surprisingly, is stronger than ever. And I Which was I've just, never thought about. I've never thought of him much as a singer. I mean, obviously, he's in great singles. Yeah, he's done and, great and albums. It really knocked me out. You know, and, and you know, with, with Mike Nesmith passing, it became even more, you know, more important for me anyway. Now, you're a huge fan of some artists for their whole career, and the one sign of being a really good fan is, I mean, you love their stuff, but not all of it. You know, when you're a good critic, you're a good person, you love it, but you don't love everything blindly, you know? And right. so you love XTC, you love Todd Rundgren and Utopia, you love Cheap Trick, but you don't automatically say, okay, that's a great, you know, it's not, I have Richard Thompson albums that haven't made my best of the year list. Shocking. But you do have Andy Partridge in a solo album here. You do have Kasim Sultan, who is a collaborator with uh, Todd Rundgren, who has an album called Kasim 2021. Uh, and you have, you have here uh, Brian Wilson. You've been a big fan of Brian Wilson and the stuff of the Beach Boys beyond Pet Sounds. And here you have Brian Wilson with At My Piano. That that record was a complete surprise. You know, it's another one of those records that on paper just doesn't have any appeal to it at all. Brian's going to take a bunch of his songs and play them on doodle. the piano. It's going to doodle. <laughs> but it's, it, it, it's not that. There's something about the recording that is incredibly almost personal. Like you feel like you're intruding because it's not a high tech recording. It's, you can hear the room. So it almost feels live. And then on top of that, you know, there are no Wilson brothers harmonies to, to, to distract you from mm. what are actually some of the most gorgeous melodies in the history of music. So it's just Brian very simply playing a dozen Brian Wilson songs, nothing else, nothing different, nothing weird. There isn't a cha-cha version of wouldn't it be nice. There's no, it's just a straight reading and it, it kind of, you know, it, it did the trick. Well, early glimpse of 2022's list, Sal will have Elvis Costello's new album on it. I probably will too. They have to hold up for listens, but you will. And I will probably have Cecile McLaurin Salvant, a great jazz singer whose new album comes out in a few weeks. That's a terrific album too. So make sure you visit his blog. Make sure you buy vinyl or sell vinyl. Do that through Sal. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. You know what's great about Sal? Not only his knowledge of music. And I'm, I'm really, thank you for suggesting, uh, Michael, that, that you, you said, hey, why don't we have sound out? I was like, oh, yeah, well, of course, always. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's so knowledgeable about music. But, you know, as a New Yorker, somebody who, who was raised in New York, listening to Sal speak, I could do it all day long. Oh, it's, it's, like, it's a cranky New Yorker. He's like, ah, I got him away. Like, hey, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Carly Simon. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sal's going strong and New York is going strong, but some people have died, unfortunately. Uh, Beryl Virtue, a UK producing legend, died at the age of 90. She did a Beryl Virtue. She sounds like a Shakespearean character. She began as a secretary, became an agent, repping people like Spike Milligan, a great British comic. Then she launched her own production company and she did big hits like Coupling, Men Behaving Badly. And 30 years after her start, she had the biggest hit of her career, critically and commercially with Sherlock, the reboot of Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch. So a great career and from all accounts, a great person. Also dying is director, producer Ivan Reitman. He produced Animal this, House. This was a surprise. This was a surprise. It was an unexpected death. Here. He didn't seem to be uh, ailing. His family said it was a surprise too. He produced Animal House. He produced a lot of stuff. Gave great notes to people. The guys from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse said that he was just hugely helpful to them and gave them all, spent days giving them notes on their movie when he saw a rough cut, then helped make it better. So that's cool. But obviously, uh, he did big movies with special effects like nobody else. He directed Bill Murray in Meatballs, Stripes, and of course, Ghostbusters. At one point, the highest grossing comedy of all time. Comedies with special effects, don't try that at home, kids. Not usually a very good idea, even for Ivan Reitman at times. But he also directed Twins, Kindergarten Cop, and maybe his best non-Ghostbusters movie, Dave. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a good movie, Dave. Yeah, that's a, that's a good little movie. Funk music pioneer Betty Davis is dead at 77. Not the singer, not the actress, I mean, but the singer. She was married to jazz legend Miles Davis for about a, a blink and you miss it year. And she only released three albums in the 70s. And then she walked away. But she's been a big influence ever since. She embraced her sexuality, influencing everyone from Prince to Madonna to Lizzo. Uh, she had a take charge attitude. Uh, and her music endures. A lot of it's been re-released in recent years. And I kind of compare of the Velvet Underground. She never sold a lot of albums, but everyone who bought one seemed to go on to make music themselves. Her album titles say it all. They say I'm different, nasty girl, is it love or desire, and simply Betty Davis. You know, there was a great uh, piece on National Public Radio about her, and uh, the people that knew her were saying, you know, you would never know. Like, if you just knew her in life, and you didn't know that she was an art, like a singer, mm -hmm. like when, even, even when she was still performing, you know, you'd, you'd be like, you know, realizing that this, you know, like it was, it was as if Madonna offstage was like this meek, quiet little girl, yeah, right. Laura Ashley, like, you know, like, like they would go and see her. Oh, you're, you're a singer. Oh yeah. I'll come and see you. And then they'd go to the club and they'd be like, Oh my God, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> she's like running around like a yeah you embraced your sexuality is probably a good way of putting it oh i'm sorry the hollywood sign will be transformed into ram's house uh for a brief period after the super bowl win so ella is very excited by that super bowl win. we don't have numbers yet but i'm sure at least 100 million people watch the super bowl and we've had lawyers on our show we like lawyers we don't want to kill all the lawyers the way shakespeare said but lawyer alvin deutsch unfortunately died after a long and significant career in hollywood he died at the age of 89 apparently just before his final victory was announced they waited until the court ruling came out before announcing that he had died he was on the board of goodspeed opera house and came up with crucial contract language that allowed theaters and Goodspeed and others copied it to they, when they originate original works, they create the right to create an endowment from the residuals it generates and helps support those companies for generations to come. He was also the lawyer on a key case involving a one woman show about the comic moms, Mabley playwright, Alice Childress, who's right now on Broadway with a different show, a revival. She sued a friend, unfortunately, who claimed sole credit for the play after they broke apart and that woman made minor changes to it. 
What is this? It means it set a standard, this lawsuit, for how to legally determine what constitutes a joint work, a very, very important legal finding. And most recently, he beat Scott Rudin and the estate of Harper Lee when they were bullying small theaters. We covered this. They had a new yeah, show on did. Broadway, and all these theaters around the country annually would produce To Kill a Mockingbird. They had the right to do so, but Rudin and the estate bullied them into backing off and not doing their annual productions because they said, no, no, no even though they did not have the right to tell him not to do it. And he won. He be, and he won for those people. So that was great. And most famously, he took on Walt Disney and won then too. He represented singer and composer Peggy Lee in an epic battle over royalties from the home video release of Lady and the Tramp. Disney had paid her a flat fee of $4,500, $4,500 for all the songs she wrote and the voice work she did on that movie. And they said, that's plenty. Well, she ultimately won millions and set the standard for a lot of other acts that followed her. So a major significant career in Hollywood entertainment, Loyal. Kind of like our career, major oh, and significant. Huge, huge. Yeah, and you know what? You should just keep tracking us because we're just getting bigger. So you should subscribe to us on iTunes. The Google Podcast, they, they have nothing. It's just Google Podcasts. I did check. It's just Google Podcasts. All right. Oh, good. I'm glad you checked. <laughs> Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spot. We are on Spotify. Uh, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can usually find our show and you can please do rate and review it there. It helps us out when you do. That information can be found on showbizsandbox.com, our website. In fact, all of Sound Lunziato's websites and, and work can be found on our website too. Uh, well, at least the links to it will be on our website along with the show notes for this this uh, today's show and uh, ways to contact us dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D I R T at showbizsandbox.com. We can also be called. You can leave us a voicemail 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter. We're at showbizsandbox is our handle. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can like our page. Again, all that information on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz can be found online and every week he's got a new and exciting website. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's love means never having to say you're sorry.com. I have no idea what that's a reference to. Neither do uh, because you cut out our fight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or <okay>. my arguing, <laughs> my yelling. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it doesn't act, that sentiment doesn't work when you're the one who needs to apologize. It's when the other person says it that it works. So if you're the one who does something and then you say, well, love means never having to say you're sorry. No, 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 that's not how it works. It's the person giving forgiveness that gets to say it, not you. I have no idea. I don't know if I followed that. I think, uh, <laughs> well, 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 if I've, if I've been a jerk, right. And then you say to me, Michael, it's okay. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Right. That's you're saying it's okay. You don't have to apologize. I'm all right. I've already forgiven oh, okay, you. Okay. But if I say it after being a jerk, no, 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 no. I don't I love means never having to say you're sorry. So let's move on. I'm tired of fighting. It's like, no, no, you don't get to say that. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm well, taking a hit on myself. Okay. Now that I've uh, un unwound that. <laughs> how's that how's your relationship not? going, Sperling? <laughs> I don't know. Do I ever have to say I'm sorry? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I'm thinking that, uh, first of all, at this point, our listeners probably forgot that website. So I'm going to tell them that all of your work can be found on michaelgiltz.com. That's where all of your entertainment coverage can be found. Some of sure. my work, including the stuff about MoviePass, can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Play nice.